Dear Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this opportunity to fellowship with you. Lord, as we fellowship with you, we ask for the gifts of your Holy Spirit. As spiritual things are spiritually discerned, Lord, we know that without you, we cannot properly comprehend the things written in your word, neither can we put into practice what we learn. So, Lord, grant to us the grace of your Spirit that we may both understand and put into practice all we learn. Grant to me words to speak that will be a blessing to all your children who are listening, that we may all be fitted up into the perfection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, do this and take the glory, for I have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. choice not man's and the Lord said unto Samuel fill thine horn with oil and go I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided me a king among his sons first Samuel chapter 16 verse 1 when sacrifice was ended and before partaking of the offering feast Samuel began his prophetic inspection of the noble-appearing sons of Jesse. Eliab was the eldest and more nearly resembled Saul for stature and beauty than the others. His comely features and finely developed form attracted the attention of the prophet. As Samuel looked upon his princely bearing, he thought, This is indeed the man whom God has chosen as successor to Saul. But Jehovah did not look upon the outward appearance. Eliab did not fear the Lord. Had he been called to the throne, he would have been a proud, exacting ruler. No outward beauty can recommend the soul to God. The wisdom and excellence revealed in the character and deportment express the true beauty of the man. And it is the inner worth the excellency of the heart that determines our acceptance with the Lord of hosts. How deeply should we feel this truth in the judgment of ourselves and others? We may learn from the mistake of Samuel how vain is the estimation that rests on beauty of face or nobility of stature. The elder brothers from whom Samuel would have chosen did not possess the qualifications that God saw to be essential in a ruler of his people. Proud, self-centered, self-confident, they were set aside for the one whom they lightly regarded, one who had preserved the simplicity and sincerity of his youth, and who, while little in his own sight, could be trained by God for the responsibilities of the kingdom. So today, in many a child whom the parents would pass by, God sees capabilities far above those revealed by others who are taught to possess great promise. And as regards life's possibilities, who is capable of deciding what is great 
and what is small. How many a worker in the lowly places of life, by setting on foot agencies for the blessing of the world, has achieved results that kings might envy. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is God's Choice, Not Man's. The last we heard of in our devotion was Samuel and Saul's encounter and how the Lord rejected Saul and he was now behaving as someone who had lost his mind and music was used to calm him down. When Samuel spoke with Saul on that fateful day in the book of First Samuel chapter 15, reading from verse 25, from verse 26 it says, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And in verse 28, it says, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord had rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and had given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. So that day Saul was rejected by the Lord, and the Lord had said, I am going to give the kingdom to someone else. Now in 1 Samuel 16, God called Samuel to go and execute that work of selecting the next king. So in verse 1 it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. From verse 4 now it says, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. Amen. So here the Lord knew the men in Israel and knew the family that he wanted to select a king from just as he knew Kish the father of King Saul and selected Saul. Even when Saul was hiding the Lord showed them where Saul was and they brought him out and made him king. Now the Lord is about to do the same work and he goes to the family of a certain man called Jesse. Who is Jesse? That the Lord selected him to be among those who will be king, to be the father of the one who will be king. To understand the history of this family in Bethlehem, we have to go back to the days of the judges when there was no king to understand who these people were and how the Lord selected a king from Jesse's family. In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, we hear of a certain woman called Naomi, who was a child of Israel from Bethlehem, that small village, a little town called Bethlehem. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilon, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. 
and they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilon died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return to, to her mother's house. Return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you, that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Hmm, something interesting is happening here. Let's see why Ruth clave to Naomi. Verse 15 says, And she said, Behold, that's Naomi said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Take note of that word, unto her gods. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she, that's Naomi, saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord had brought me home again, empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. It happened after the passing of time that Ruth was recommended to a certain man called Boaz for her to marry him. But Boaz was not the, according to the culture, that the, the person was supposed to be married by the eldest of the family because Naomi's family, if she was going to marry someone, it was supposed to be someone from the same uh, relative, among her relatives. But the person who was supposed to be the first to be considered 
rejected to marry Naomi and Boaz was the one who chose to marry her. But what I want us to take note of as I'm going through this lesson, yeah, there are many lessons to learn from this touching story of Naomi. But look at Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite, if you understand what that means. Well, if you don't understand, I will make us understand as time as we continue the devotion. But take note that Ruth is consistently called a Moabite. And Opa went back to worship her gods. But Ruth insisted that she will follow Naomi. Now, eventually she gets married to Boaz. In Ruth chapter 4 verse 9, it says, And Boaz said unto the elders and unto the people, Ye are witnesses this day, that I have bought all that, El- that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chilon's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which had left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Verse 16. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nursed unto it. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Amen. Now, what do we learn from here? The Bible keeps referring to Ruth as the Moabites. Jesse's grandmother is a Moabite. The Moabite woman was the one who married Boaz of Bethlehem. She was a humble lady who loved God. She had tasted the goodness of God and was determined. She had known the God of the Moabites and the God of the Israelites and she was determined not to go back to the God of the gods of the Moabites. The Lord saw her heart and she was making no compromise on this matter. She said, the God of Israel must be my God. Certainly in her marriage to Malon, and in the family of Naomi and Eliphaz, she has seen something different in the laws of the God and, and the way that the Israelites operate and had seen that truly the God of Israel is the God of gods. And she was determined never to go back to Moab. She was an Israelite at heart. This decision of heart of hers not to go back to Moab showed that she was an Israelite at heart. But in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3, the Bible says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Hmm. But we look at King Saul who was selected. Do you know what Saul was selected for? He was selected to be a monarch, to be the one through whom the Messiah will come, but he lost that opportunity. Reading from Ministry of Healing, page 397, paragraph 2, we are told, Life is mysterious and sacred. 
it is the manifestation of God himself, the source of all life. Precious are its opportunities, and earnestly should they be improved. Once lost, they are gone forever." End of quote. King Saul was given an opportunity, and this opportunity was a sacred one. Precious are its opportunities we just read. Earnestly should they be improved. Once lost, they are gone forever. When Saul made that sacrifice that day that he was not supposed to make in 1 Samuel chapter 13, reading from verse 13 and 14, here was what Samuel told him. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord had sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord had commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded, commanded thee. Saul had a glorious opportunity before him, an opportunity to be the progenitor of the Messiah, an opportunity to be the one whose lineage the Messiah would come from, but he lost it because of disobedience and a lack of humility before us. God places eternity. This is Ministry of Healing, page 397, paragraph 3 now and down to paragraph 4. It says, Before us, God places eternity with its solemn realities and gives us a grasp on immortal, imperishable themes. So think of Ruth now. I'm stopping. Think of Ruth as I read this. God placed before Ruth solemn realities and gave her a grasp of immortal imperishable themes before her was an opportunity and she did not lost it she grasped it and said no way i'm not going back to moab and in this decision of not going back to moab there gave she gave birth to the man called obed obed gave birth to jesse and jesse gave birth to david who was now selected to be king i continue the reading I'll start it again. It says, Before us, God places eternity with its solemn realities and gives us a grasp on immortal, imperishable themes. He presents valuable and nobling truth that we may advance in a safe and sure path in pursuit of an object worthy of the earnest engagement of all our capabilities. God looks into the tiny seed like um, Ruth that he himself has formed and sees wrapped within it the beautiful flower, the shrub or the lofty widespreading tree. So does he see the possibilities in every human being, not just Israelites now, every human being. We are here for a purpose. God has given us his plan for our life and he desires us to reach the highest standard of development." End of quote. In the Moabite woman Ruth, we see the lesson of taking advantage of opportunities. She had the opportunity through marriage of knowing the one true God. She did not play with it. It cost her something, but she held on to it. She saw treasure hidden in a field and was willing to be named among the Israelites and worship their God. She didn't want to trade that experience for anything in the world. God did not stare her heart in vain. But to Saul, Saul was told, Thou hast done foolishly. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But God had chosen himself, someone else that would rule. If King Saul had taken advantage of the opportunity given him, if he had regarded it as a privilege and honor to, be, to have been made king and humbled himself before God, we would not have heard of King David. Saul's family would have been made king forever. 
and the Lord would have given him the high honor of being the one through whom the Messiah would come. We would not have been hearing the root and offspring of David, but the root and offspring of Saul. But Saul blew his opportunity away. God is not dependent on men. Nevertheless, he walks through men. There is not one man in this world who performs a responsibility that another man cannot also perform if God chooses him. We should always regard it as a privilege and honor when the Lord selects us for a sacred work and perform that work faithfully. If we regard it thus, then we will be careful not to do anything that will offend God and will make him reject us and turn to another person because of our unfaithfulness. That little town of Bethlehem was selected. The family of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz who married Ruth, a Moabite, who was the one that the Lord honored in taking the place of King Saul. This shows us a lesson that the Lord is a respecter of no man. I read earlier Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 which says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. David, Jesse, they were from a Moabite woman. So somehow, they were Moabites even though their father was a Bethlehemite. Yes, I understand that. But Ruth was a Moabite and she was permitted to enter into the congregation of the Lord. Is it contradicting this Deuteronomy 23 verse 3? Certainly not. Because just as it is in Israel, they are not all Israel that are Israel. It is Israel in the heart that matters to the Lord. It is not Israel in the lips or by blood but by character. The Moabites are known by their character, not necessarily by their lineage and your relatives. Ruth was an Israelite verily at heart and she chose to worship the God of Israel and not the God of the Moabites. And through her, the Lord brought this man called Jesse and it is his home that the Lord directed Samuel to to find the next king that will replace King Saul. So why did the Lord select this Moabitish woman? In Acts chapter 10 verse 34 and 35, when Peter was, select, was told to go and preach to Cornelius, while preaching, he noticed something and a lesson was taught to him that day which we should learn today. Acts 10 verse 34 and 35 says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Amen. Ruth walked righteousness regardless of the fact that she was a Moabite. God is a respecter of no person so she was given the heritage of being the one who her name will be written among the mothers who Jesus came from. And even in their lineage when we read the book of Ruth talking about the lineage of a David reading from Ruth chapter 4 from verse 18 it says now these are the generations of Phares. Phares Phares is a son of Judah, by the way. Phares begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. That man there called Salmon got married to guess who? He got married to the woman who is called Rahab the harlot. God is a respecter of no persons, my brothers and sisters. If we raise ourselves so high and the Lord gives us a responsibility, especially the people who say, oh, we are the commandment-keeping people, our church is God's church and all of that, 
God can reject you if you don't do your, the work he asks you to do. And he will go to a Moabite. He will go to someone else and give them the commission to do the work that he wants them to do. Just as it is for King Saul, there were many people who could have been chosen as king. He was not, it was not an exclusive position. Let us remember Moses, for example. The work that was given to Moses was a privilege. It is not that Moses was the only one who could do that work. The work that was given to Joshua was a privilege. It is not that there was not another person that could do that work. When Moses died, Joshua took over and he performed the work of the Lord. Enoch was a man that was holy in the sight of the Lord, but any other person could have done it if they also lay hold of the divine strength in God. We have people like Elijah, John the Baptist, John the Beloved, Daniel. They are men who have also stood for their time. And when God gives us a responsibility to perform, let us guard it jealously. We are told in the book of Revelation 3 verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. This is the lesson. Someone like Ellen White, and uh, who was selected to be a messenger for our time. There were other people who were selected before her, but they lost the opportunity. Like we read in the book Ministry of Healing, page 397, paragraph 2. Life is mysterious and sacred. It is the manifestation of God himself, the source of all life. Precious, take note of these words, precious are its opportunities and earnestly should they be improved. Once lost, they are gone forever. End of quote. Saul's opportunity was gone forever and the Lord moved to another person, to the house of Jesse. If the Lord has called you to do a work, do it faithfully. Do not be like King Saul. Do not think that God's work is dependent on you. And I'm also speaking to myself. None of us should ever come so become so self-confident that we think that God's work is dependent on us. Let us guard the work jealously and be so, so dependent on God that we will not want him to take the crown away from us or to take the responsibility away from us by our disobedience so that we will continue to enjoy the privilege of working for God and the blessings that he has reserved in that position may be ours. Precious are its opportunities. Don't lose them. When they go, when they go, they are gone forever. That is one lesson that we learn. And we also learned here that God is a respecter of no person. This woman, Ruth, who was a Moabite, was is going to be among those who is honored to be the one through whom our Lord Jesus came. Now, in the selecting of David. As a king, there is another lesson here. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 16, from verse 6, it says, And it came to pass, when they were come, as the children of Jesse, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither had the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither had the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Wow, Jesse had a lot of sons. That's like ten of them now. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord had not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. 
now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. We see here that God went through this process for a reason. Is it that God didn't know that it was David all along? Why did he have to put Samuel through all this, going through ten different sons before he told him this is he? It's because the Lord wanted to teach not just Samuel but to teach us today a lesson that he does not see as we see. When he was selecting Saul as king, the impression would have been gotten that the Lord is looking for physical stature and physical attributes because Saul was the tallest man and the next tallest person was reaching Saul in his shoulders. This must have sent a message to Samuel and to many others that in selecting a king we look for physical attributes. But no, the Lord was going to correct that impression. The Lord selected Saul because he was the king that the people wanted. That was what they wanted. He gave it to them. But also, he was going to work with Saul so that Saul could fulfill the duty of being king. But Saul did not fulfill it. He was too proud and self-confident and he was so conscious of his glory and he was rejected by the Lord. This time, the Lord is making Samuel and all of us, Samuel and all of us to understand that in the selection of people to do a work for him, physical and outward attributes is not what matters. Rather, it is the beauty of the heart. Looking into Conflict and Courage, page 160, paragraph 3, we are told, No outward beauty can recommend the soul to God. The wisdom and excellence revealed in the character and deportment express the true beauty of the man. I take that again. The wisdom and excellence revealed where? In the character and deportment express the true beauty of the man and the woman also. And it is the inner worth, the excellence of the heart, that determines our acceptance with the Lord of hosts. How deeply should we feel this truth in the judgment of ourselves and others? We may learn from the mistake of Samuel how vain is the estimation that rests on beauty of face or nobility of stature. End of quote. I would like to point to one issue now, which is marriage. In the selection of a companion, people make this mistake a lot. They look at the beauty of face and nobility of stature. What a huge mistake. Please learn this lesson. Let the Lord select for you. It doesn't mean that beauty of face is bad or nobility of stature is bad. No, that's not what it means. Gideon was a good man. He was he had nobility of stature and he also had beauty of face. Even David, we are told, he was good to look upon. He was That's what we are told in uh, here in 1 Samuel 16 verse 12, that he was of a beautiful countenance. Yes, all of them had a beautiful countenance, but that was not what the Lord was looking at. We must go beyond looking at the beauty of the face and the nobility of the stature in selection for a sacred work. Marriage is a sacred work. The work of doing the ministry is a sacred work. The work of a mother is a sacred work. The work of a father and a husband and a wife is a sacred work. And in selecting people for this, let us not make the mistake that Samuel made in looking at outward beauty. We are told that the elder brothers from whom Samuel would have chosen did not possess the qualifications that God saw to be essential in the ruler of his people. Proud, self-centered, self-confident, they were set aside for the one whom they lightly regarded, one who had pers 
preserved the simplicity and sincerity of youth and who while little in his own sight could be trained by God for the responsibilities of the kingdom. So if we must get something from here, if we must qualify ourselves for the work of God, we must be little in our sight so that we can learn and be taught of God. There is nothing that the Lord values much than humility and self-distrust. We have said this over and over again. The first qualification needed to work for God is self-distrust. Let us be led by God and not look to outward qualities for the qualifications for service. That which qualifies a man for service is their humility and ability to be led and molded by God. As we have always noted, self-distrust is the first qualification for Christian service because, because it leads to confidence in God and not confidence in one's own abilities. It leads to a following of God's own ways and not our own ways. This is exactly what God wants, a man who will lose sight of self and do what God wants and not what he wants himself. In the life of David, you will see it constantly done. David doesn't trust to his methods, to his strategizing and to his planning. He always wants to know from God. He cannot trust his own plans and he wants God to tell him, Lord, please tell me what to do. He, do, he Even though he has done many exploits, he never gets self-confident in his previous battles. Rather, every battle builds his confidence in God. For some people, every battle gives them confidence in themselves. We'll look at that in tomorrow's devotion anyway. But for today, suffice to say that nobody is rejected by God. If we are righteous in his sight, just like Peter said in the book of Acts 10, verse 20, 35, but in every nation, in what? Every nation, Moab is a nation. Even though Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 says that the Moabites shall not enter the congregation of the Lord to the 10th generation. Yet, here in Acts 10, verse 35, the Lord showed us a lesson that in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So it is not the Moabites by name that are Moabites. It is those who practice what is done in Moab. There are people in Israel who are Moabites and there are people in Moab who are Israelites, just like Ruth was a Moabite but an Israelite. And Saul was an Israelite but a Moabite in the sense of his disobedience to God. It is our character that matters. The Lord blessed Ruth and used her to bring this man called David. And through David, we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Moabite is in that lineage. The harlot Rahab from Jericho is in that lineage. The Lord is a respecter of no person. Regardless of where you are from, if you are humble and you choose the Lord the way, the way Ruth chose the Lord, the Lord can use you for a great work. But let us also guard jealously the light the Lord has given to us as Ruth guarded the experience and said, No way, I'm not going to Moab. I will serve the God of Israel. She saw treasure hidden in the field and she sold all that she had for that field. It was a noble decision Ruth made. She was supposed to go and marry someone else. She was a young lady, but she chose to go with Naomi. Not because she saw that the husband will come from there, but to her, the worship of God was more important than her husband. She didn't go with Naomi with plan in her mind of getting married to a man. That was not her reason. Her sole reason for following Naomi was, I want to worship your God. And she continued to follow her without any prospect or hope of getting married to someone else. But the Lord supplied to her her needs. And through her today, we know that we have our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us follow after the Lord. Drop every other consideration in this world and the Lord will bless you like she blessed Ruth. Through her, Jesse came and through Jesse, David and through David, our Lord and Savior Jesus. 
May these lessons be a blessing to each and every one of us. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for these lessons that we have learned. I pray, Father, that as these lessons have been spoken, that you will help us to apply it to our lives faithfully, that we will make decisions like Ruth did in following after the Lord and dropping every other worldly prospect. I pray, Father, that you will help us too, that the opportunities that come our way, that they will not be gone forever, but that we will hold on to them faithfully and do your work, considering it a privilege to do it faithfully. Help us, Lord, because of our own will and our own strength, we cannot do it. So please help us. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering. For I have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.